Today, we take you to Taiwan's indigenous roots and indigenous people. Tell us about the challenges of preserving their unique identities and culture. I'll tell you how Taiwan plans to shorten its quarantine period. We're also going to tell you who the most popular YouTubers in Taiwan are and what's made them famous. And in Hashtag Taiwan, Leslie gives you the lowdown on Taiwan's Lantern Festival. This is Taiwan Insider. Welcome to the show. Today we take a look at Taiwan's indigenous roots. Taiwan has an official indigenous population of nearly 600,000, or about 2.5% of the population. Let's take a look at how they're striving to keep their culture alive. In 1544, Portuguese sailors passed by Taiwan and called it Ilha Formosa, the beautiful island. Long before the Europeans, Japanese, or Chinese came to the island, the indigenous people have called Taiwan their home. Taiwan's government officially recognizes 16 indigenous groups, but there are many more that self-identify as separate and unique peoples. A hundred years ago, most of Taiwan's indigenous groups lived in the central mountains, on the east coast, and in the south. However, nowadays nearly half of the indigenous population lives in the urban areas of the country. Over the centuries, indigenous communities in rural areas have dwindled as many young people leave to pursue opportunities in the big cities. But in recent years, there's been a movement for people to reconnect with their indigenous roots and return to the places where their families are from. This has created an intriguing fusion of urban Taiwanese culture and rural indigenous traditions. Chen Zhiyi, a man of mixed indigenous heritage, returned to his village with his wife and children after his father's death. When he went through his father's belongings, he found traditional fishing tools, photos, and woven crafts that all illustrated his people's history. These precious pieces are now part of the Olang Museum, which features DIY classes for visitors to try making some tools themselves. Though in recent years, Taiwan has seen a growing public interest in indigenous culture, many indigenous groups say they feel overlooked and undervalued by the Taiwan government and general public. Some say when new visitors venture into their communities, they just take a few photos and leave without taking time to get a deeper understanding and appreciation for their culture. So, how can people learn more about indigenous people and their culture? One way people can make a deeper connection is by learning from indigenous people firsthand. Today, indigenous communities in Taiwan host activities and classes related to camping, cooking, music, tool making, and hunting, led by indigenous instructors. Through them, rural communities are giving non-indigenous Taiwanese a closer look at traditional indigenous culture. One of these indigenous guides is a man named Liu Jianchang, who leads classes and explorations on his people's land. Some research suggests that Austronesian people like Liu have been living in Taiwan for over 6,000 years, so the land is closely connected with the indigenous group's development and history. Here we have Niu Shan or Cow Mountain. Liu says he's been coming up the mountain with his family ever since he was a little boy. In that time, the herd has expanded from less than 20 cattle to almost 100. Another guide, Chen Jianlong, tells visitors that he does not bring groups to Niushan frequently because it could disturb the cattle in their natural environment. Chen says it's important for people to live in harmony with the animals around them. 
Hosting classes and activities is also a way for indigenous people to provide a stable income and home for their families. Since the 1600s, many different countries have colonized Taiwan and oppressed its indigenous people. Today, most of Taiwan's indigenous people remain below the poverty line. Their household incomes are 40% lower than the national average. On top of that, these indigenous groups must also reckon with powerful and dangerous natural forces. Taiwan's east coast is home to many indigenous peoples and is usually hit the hardest by natural disasters. These include typhoons, landslides, and earthquakes that further threaten the stability of these villages. These indigenous instructors have made a long-term commitment to keep their people's vibrant history and culture alive in their communities and beyond. They say they want the people of Taiwan to know that not all great innovators live in big cities, tech parks, and laboratories. Learning from Taiwan's indigenous people makes it all very clear that these groups that have thrived throughout thousands of years continue to create new things of beauty and wonder in the world today. It's great to see indigenous people preserving their cultural legacy. The education ministry is also helping out this month. In the lead up to International Mother Language Day, it has a campaign to encourage interest in indigenous and other minority languages. Why should I study my mother tongue? Three schoolgirls ask their teacher. It's a pertinent question, and with International Mother Language Day coming up on February 21st, it's more relevant than ever. People in Taiwan speak a range of languages, including Mandarin, Taiwanese Hokkien, and Hakka, along with Austronesian languages like Amis and Paiwan. But Mandarin's dominance is growing, with fewer and fewer young people able to speak their parents' other native tongues. That's why Taiwan's education ministry is using International Mother Language Day to promote Taiwan's minority languages. TV host Remy Gilles wowed attendees at the campaign's launch on February 11th by speaking Hakka, Taiwanese Hokkien, Amis and Bunun, as well as using Taiwan Sign Language. Education Minister Pan Wenzhong was also suitably impressed. Pan says if Taiwanese don't start speaking their mother tongues now, it'll soon be too late. Jiel, meanwhile, says the campaign is about instilling a sense of respect for minority languages and their heritage. As part of the campaign, 10 libraries and community arts centers will host more than 50 activities this month, ranging from board games to theatrical performances. With Jiel at the head, the government hopes it can kickstart people's interest in all of Taiwan's lingos. Next up, Stash tells us about something we who love to travel have been hoping for, a shorter quarantine. Traveling to Taiwan in the next few months? Well, good news for you. People arriving in Taiwan will soon be able to quarantine for 10 days rather than a full two weeks. Health Minister Chen Shijong says he hopes to be able to put the new rules into effect by mid-March. So the plan is this. Business travelers will be allowed into the country. Everyone will do 10 days quarantine either at a quarantine hotel or at home. But you'll only be allowed to do it at home if it's just you in the house or the apartment, meaning no friends, roommates or family members in the next room over. There'll be regular testing too. Everyone will take one PCR test when they arrive and then another at the end of the 10 days. They'll also have to take four rapid antigen tests, three during quarantine on days three, five and seven, and then one a week later at the end of the self-health management period. During that period, people aren't allowed to take part in social gatherings. So what's the reasoning behind the shift to a 10-day quarantine for arrivals? Well, Chen says there are a number of factors. 
He says one factor is that Taiwan's local case numbers are stable and controllable following the Lunar New Year. Another is that health authorities say Omicron has a shorter incubation period. They say 99% of people who get the virus test positive within the first 10 days. Also, Omicron is making fewer people seriously ill than other variants, and less than 1% of arriving passengers are testing positive in quarantine. So far, so good. But Chen says a few things need to happen before Taiwan cuts the quarantine period. First, authorities need to finish all the necessary preparations. That includes things like making sure Taiwan's healthcare system is ready and well supplied to deal with new patients. Second, health authorities have to keep Taiwan's local outbreak under control. And finally, Chen says Taiwan has to raise its vaccination rate, particularly for older people. The main target is to raise Taiwan's third dose vaccination rate to 50%. Right now, it's just over 30%. And at the current rate of vaccination, Taiwan should hit 50% pretty much bang on in the middle of next month. So there you have it. There's still some work to do, but Taiwan's border rules look set to get that little bit looser. Next on Hashtag Taiwan, Leslie tells us all about Taiwan's Lantern Festival. This past Tuesday was the Lantern Festival. Now, the Lantern Festival signals the end of the Lunar New Year celebration. In last week's episode of Taiwan Insider, we told you about how the Taiwan Tourism Bureau is putting on a month-long event for the Lantern Festival in Kaohsiung City. Now, as you might expect, the event features lanterns, but this year organizers upped the ante and put on drone shows. 1,500 unmanned drones flew into the air and moved in synchrony to create images in the sky. The drones depicted lions, tigers, a whale, Taiwan, planet Earth, an airplane supply drop, and even Taiwanese badminton champion Tai Ying playing badminton. The show gets really specific. Even President Tsai Ing-wen tweeted about the drone shows. She pointed out that the drones paid tribute to countries that stood by Taiwan, like Lithuania, Slovakia, Poland, and Japan, by displaying their flags in the sky. Now that's just one highlight of the Lantern Festival. Let's move on to another highlight, which is this tiger tail accessory. Simply speaking, it's a tube-shaped balloon with tiger print on it. You blow it up, you put an LED light in it, you tie it around your waist, and it looks like you have a little tiger tail. Why a tiger? Well, because this year is the year of the tiger. This Lantern Festival souvenir has sold out completely. And when Kaohsiung City government launched a limited online sale for the tails, well, they sold out in 30 minutes. Originally, these tube-shaped balloon tiger tail accessories sell for 299 new Taiwan dollars, which is about 11 US dollars. But people online are reselling them for as much as 750 new Taiwan dollars, which is around three times what they go for retail. While Kaohsiung city government is negotiating with manufacturers about releasing more of these tiger tails, a page on Facebook has published a guide on how to make your own. Someone's got to do something about this accessory shortage quick. Otherwise soon, these little tails are going to cost about as much as, well, an actual tiger. Every day, over 720,000 hours of videos get uploaded to YouTube. While some people may use this site to share fun cat videos, others have launched incredible careers. Let's take a look at the hottest YouTubers in Taiwan and how their fame has made them millions. Comedian Andy Tai's career took him from acting to YouTube and then back to the stage. You can see him at concerts with his YouTube group Muyao4 Super Playing. 
They even host major events like New Year's Eve parties and have become one of the most popular YouTube channels in Taiwan. However, the group's 2 million subscribers and over $400,000 in monthly income from YouTube ad revenue is not enough to get them into the top 10 list of Taiwan's top-earning YouTube channels. Another recognizable personality, Holger Chen, follows closely behind Tai's entourage at the 15th spot with just below $400,000 of monthly income. So who are Taiwan's most successful YouTubers? Well, the answer left many surprised. Coming in at number one is a Korean artist who is married to a Taiwanese woman. He runs the channel J. Lee Painting, through which he showcases his amazing abilities to paint using everyday objects. He is closing in on 5 million subscribers and raking in just under 4.7 million NT dollars, that's 168,000 US dollars every month. In second place is the computer graphics-fueled parody channel Yes Ranger, which boasts over 3 million subscribers and a monthly income of 1.8 million NT dollars or 64,000 US dollars. Closing off the top three is Terry Films, a food channel showcasing traditional Taiwanese snacks and food. With one and a half million subscribers, the channel nets just under 1.3 million NT dollars a month. It seems there is no shortage of talent among Taiwan's YouTubers, representing a wide range of genres. With top earners bringing home millions, it's no wonder more and more people in Taiwan dream of becoming internet celebrities. To all our YouTube fans out there, as you can see, your support really makes a difference to the channels you subscribe to. Now, before I go and join my co-hosts, let's take a look at the other stories that are on our radar this week. The South American country Paraguay has granted Taiwan's Medigen COVID-19 vaccine emergency use authorization. The vaccine underwent a phase 3 clinical trial where researchers measured the quantity of neutralizing antibodies generated by the vaccine. Then they compared that number to the antibodies produced by the AstraZeneca vaccine using a technique called immunobridging. Medigen says their protein subunit vaccine generated 3.7 times more neutralizing antibodies than AstraZeneca and that there were no serious adverse effects. Taiwan approved the vaccine for emergency use last June. Paraguay is the second country to allow its use, though some other countries do allow travelers who have received the Medigen vaccine into their borders. The vaccine is currently undergoing clinical trials in other countries and also being tested under the WHO's Phase 3 Solidarity Trial Vaccines program. The traditional Yanshui Beehive Fireworks Festival took place in Tainan's Yanshui District this past Monday. The festivities were downsized due to COVID-19. Only 1,000 people were allowed to take part in the festival's main event and all of them were required to have gotten two doses of a COVID vaccine. During the festival, revelers carry around deity statues on palanquins amid the smoke and din from hundreds of thousands of fireworks. Don't worry though, everyone wore protective clothing and helmets to avoid injury. The festival has its roots in a cholera outbreak in the late 19th century. The fireworks are said to ward off malicious spirits associated with the disease. The Taiwan International Documentary Festival has released its shortlist for this year's competition. Entries are divided into three categories, Asian Vision, International Competition and the Taiwan Competition. Around 15 films in each category were selected from over 200 submissions from all over the world. Taiwanese entries that made the cut include The Catch by filmmaker Xu Zhejia and The Lucky Woman by Zheng Wenzhen. The festival will kick off in Taipei on May 6th with director Huang Xingyao's A Silent Gaze, which is shortlisted for both the Asian Vision and the Taiwan categories. Events will draw to a close on May 15th. Well, we are back in the studio, and I thought the drone show was pretty amazing. What about you guys? I actually didn't manage to watch it, but oh. I did see a very cool picture. Very cool. What would you guys do, that's my question for today, with 1,500 drones? 
<laughs> okay, well, if I was doing a light show with 1,500 drones, uh, I would do something with the constellations. That would be very cool. So, obviously, I know the constellations are already up in the sky, but, you know, the names of the constellations and what the stars actually look like is such an abstract connection that I think if you could sort of use drones to make these 3D versions that's of the true. pictures, whether that's, you can right. actually see Orion or you can see Ursa Major, Ursa Minor, Usher Minor as these big and small bears. That'd be really cool to what, see in the sky. What's your star sign? What, what are you? Uh, what I'm you a think? Pisces. Oh, that's yeah. a, there should be a Pisces up there. It'd be right? cool if, like, you know, there's fish like jumping around <laughs> in a circle or something. Really educational too, mm -hmm. right? For astronomy class or something. Yeah, <laughs> could be cool. Could be cool. Uh, I'm, I actually. Um, I ran with it a bit, and I went for a bit something that's maybe a bit narcissistic. I went for drone throne. I would make myself a throne out of drones, <laughs> and I would be carried up into the air oh my gosh, for be all fun. the people to see. Uh, so yeah, that would be very exciting. <laughs> I'm not sure about the kind of mechanics of it or whether the physics of that makes sense, but I'm hoping someone out there can figure it out for me. That sounds like fun. Like you can pay big bucks for things like yeah, that, I'm right? Yeah, sure. So I would do, you know, that we're called the Butterfly Kingdom. So oh. I would do a show of butterflies. We have one of the densest butterfly populations in the world, over 400 different types wow. of butterflies. So I would like have them all different colors and flying around. Oh, Natalie is a doctorist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's better than having to you know, track down all 400 kinds of butterflies, get them all in a box somehow, and then release them. Get right. the drones to do it. Yeah, yeah. it would be so beautiful. Anyways, thank you for joining us on Taiwan Insider. I am Natalie So. I'm Emma Banat. And I'm Stash Butler. And do follow us on YouTube like you follow all the other YouTubers. Yeah, we're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. We're on all major media platforms. That's right. If you want to catch us on Twitter or on Facebook, our username is just Taiwan Insider, one word. But uh, that's it from us for this week. So see you next time. Bye. Bye. Leslie Liao. Do you love Radio Taiwan International's English content and wish it would never end? Well, who said it has to? The fun doesn't have to stop here. Check out our website, or our Facebook, or our YouTube, or our Twitter. Go to en.rti.org.tw for the latest Taiwan news stories. Check out Radio Taiwan International on Facebook to see great pictures of Taiwan. Go to youtube.com slash RTI English to view some of our great features. And when you're done, tell us what you think on Twitter. Our handle is Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. What are you waiting for? I'm here waiting for your message. Ordering Chinese to go is now easier than ever. Subscribe to the e-newsletter and receive free Chinese lessons every week delivered right to your email inbox. Find out more on our new website, english.rti.org.tw. Delivery boy not included. Listen, are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan.
Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. The U.S. House of Representatives recently passed the America Competes Act, which has many clauses about Taiwan. One of them calls for the Secretary of State to begin talks with Taiwan about changing the name of Taiwan's office in the U.S. from the Taipei Economic and Cultural Office to the Taiwan Representative Office. And today I speak with Voice of America Asia reporter Chris Cascajo about what that represents. I ask him if this signals a new policy towards Taiwan. It's not a new thing.、Uh, I, I've spoken to a couple of Taiwan analysts, and Taiwan has pushed for this since the '90s.、Uh, the office was actually originally called the Coordination Council for North American Affairs, which is kind of a Cumbersome name, and nobody really knew what the office did. So Taiwan has been pushing for this for years. It just seemed to have gained bipartisan support in the House and Senate because some analysts believe that it's a very easy way to show support for Taiwan without fundamentally changing the U.S. policy towards Taiwan, which is one of strategic ambiguity, as we well know. But、uh, before, it seems that the U.S. would be wary about angering China with such a move. So, why do you think there's a move towards、uh, more clear support for Taiwan diplomatically? Some of it is the timing.、Uh, some analysts believe that the timing of introducing this legislation is to take the heat off Lithuania, which agreed to establish a diplomatic office in its capital. Um, and of course, China got angry with that and halted beef exports and did some other, you know, economic coercion moves. So it could be a way for、uh, lawmakers to say that they stand with Taiwan and they're fully prepared for China to respond as it usually does when it comes to these things. How do you think China might respond if the U.S. does change the name of the office? Well, it would it would definitely aggravate China. There, there's no question about that. But I don't think that that really is something that the U.S. is concerned about because it's done a lot of things to aggravate China lately by highlighting its human rights abuses in Xinjiang、mm-hmm. of the the Uyghur population with a diplomatic boycott of the the games leading several nations in that. So you know this would be just another example of you know the U.S. doing what is in the U.S. interest and letting the chips fall where they may when it comes to China's response, which. Would expectedly be one of opposition, and they will publicly state that opposition. So, how would you characterize how U.S. policy towards China is changing? You know, it seems that there's been a shift in the past several years from we want to do business with China and we want access to China's lucrative markets to being much more aware of some of the unsavory things that China is doing,、uh, whether it's a not forthright response to the origins of COVID. The treatment of Uyghurs in Xinjiang, and then also the declining press freedoms in Hong Kong. So I think there is definitely a sense in the U.S. that a more economically well-off China was not necessarily going to be a freer China, and I think that's something that lawmakers, both Democratic and Republicans, see crystal clear now. 
So there were some illusions before that perhaps a freer economy in China would lead to more freedom politically. I think so, and that definitely was the case. I was working in Seattle, and a large percentage of its trade came directly from China, and, and that seemed to be the attitude that you know we're we're doing good things. You know we're sourcing goods、uh, at lower labor costs from China. But we're providing marketing jobs, you know, for our workers, and you know that's definitely changed in the past few years. So, America has actually—I mean, the Congress has actually passed two different acts,、uh, similar one in the Senate, one in the House, about co- competition with China. Basically, the American Competes Act is basically to raise U.S. competitiveness towards China. How do you think American perceptions of China and Taiwan have changed in recent years? Well, the analysts I talk to think that they go together. As the as a more negative perception of China emerges because of some of the things that it's doing that we've already discussed, a more positive image of Taiwan emerges because Taiwan is one of the democracy success stories in Asia, and that they have a lot of the same values that we do, as far as democratically elected government. And then also, you know, what's been a shining example. That we frankly have not followed in the U.S. is Taiwan's response to the COVID pandemic and keeping cases relatively low and isolating the cases that have emerged. So that's something that we definitely could look to、uh, in the future because these kinds of pandemics are not going away. In fact, you know, many researchers predict that there will be just more and more of these animal to human coronaviruses that emerge. Oh. That's not a good thing. <laughs> You're working at home right now, correct? Because of the pandemic, right? Oh, the the other thing is,、uh, Taiwan is now our eighth largest trading partner. There's also a benefit to to stronger trade agreements with Taiwan because of that. That's a very high ranking. Do you think that the U.S. will move forward with a bilateral trade agreement、um, with closer, freer trade ties with Taiwan? It's hard to say because. You know, even when you look at the America Competes Act, it passed with wide Democratic support, and then there was a version, you know, that was called something else that passed with wide Republican support late last year. So now they're in the process of reconciling those bills, you know. But to get, you know, Democrats and Republicans in the states to agree on anything is just—it's—it's it's such a hard sell, especially as we are approaching midterm elections this fall, you know, which could decide control of Congress. I think it's something that they agree to in principle, but you know what what sort of agreement that they would come up with, you know, we'll see. <laughs>、mm. I was surprised to see that the new bill called for the renaming of Taipei Economic and Cultural Office、uh, in in the U.S. to Taiwan Representative Office. It it is a kind of provocative move from China's perspective. It's a provocative move. Um, from any other perspective, it seems pretty normal to to have your office. Named after the country that it represents, do you think it will happen for sure? And, and when do you think it would happen? Well, the thing about the、um, renaming of the office, that act, it would not direct a name change. It would just put it on the agenda of the Secretary of State, who current, currently Anthony Blinken, and the White House.、Mm-hmm. So whatever change would be up to them. And the Biden administration had sig- signified several months ago that that it was in favor of the change, but. You know, since this Taiwan Representative Office Act was introduced, the White House hasn't commented publicly on it. So, 
you know, whether their position has changed in the past few months, you know, we just don't know. The American Competes Act it's, says, I have the wording right here, because I, I was so curious about this, I looked it up. It says oh, okay. the Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office is inaptly named as it works to cultivate the extensive, close and friendly commercial, cultural and other relations between the people of the United States and the people, organizations and enterprises of Taiwan, not merely Taipei. And then it calls on the Secretary of State. It says negotiations to rename TECRO reflective of the substantively deepening ties between Taiwan and the United States. The Secretary of State shall seek to enter into negotiations with appropriate officials of the Taipei Economic and Cultural Office in the United States with the objective of renaming its office in Washington, D.C., the Taiwan Representative Office in the U.S., and its subsidiary offices in the U.S. accordingly. Okay, it's saying here, a Secretary of State shall seek to enter into <coughs> negotiations with the objective of renaming the office. So what kind of mandate is that? Does that mean that he has to rename the office, or does he mean he just has to put this on his agenda and, and talk with uh, Taiwan officials about it? It's my understanding, you know, and from talking to some Taiwan analysts, that it just puts it on his agenda. Okay. You can't force him to do it. <laughs> right. Basically. But it's something that he would have to look at closely. And, you know, it, it, uh, it, it, if it's something that enjoys wide bipartisan support, it's kind of putting political pressure, mm. you know, frankly, mm -hmm. to, to do it. And it's, you know, it's the one area that, that seems, you know, of this bill that, that, that has bipartisan support, you know, because some of the Republican opposition to the rest of it, Republicans are historically against using federal money for private enterprise. So that's why the America Competes Act passed largely along party lines. I think one congressperson from each party defected and, you know, voted either for or against it. But it was pretty much along party lines. But the idea of using Taiwan in the name of the office, you know, is something that, that definitely has bipartisan support. And one of the other things that I should add is analysts have told me that this could provide cover for other smaller countries who might want to establish uh, diplomatic relations with Taiwan. You know, sort of that whole, well, you know, the U.S. It would give them cover, right? Oh, that's right. That's why China is so afraid of things like this. Right, right, right. right. I mean, right. it reacted so... So it's not only solidarity with, it's not only solidarity with, with Lithuania, with the timing of it, it's also would give cover to smaller countries. And there's also a Taiwan Representative Office Act. That's different, right? That's basically is calling for the change of the name. Yep. Again, that, that would not mean the name would automatically change. It would just put it on the Secretary of State's agenda. Well, that's you know, the same, it, same thing. But it would then. also pull it. Yeah. It just, uh, it, just, it just seems like they just took this part of the America Competes Act and made it a standalone bill. I see. So basically it is saying that Congress would like to see this happen and, and they're asking the Secretary of State to begin Correct. talks Correct. about it. Correct. But they cannot direct Correct. But, the results of the talks. Right. But as I said, uh, you know, just a few moments ago, the Biden administration did signal that it would be in favor of such a move, but this was, you know, we're going on several months now. You know, and we, you know, I suppose we could also talk a little bit more about the America Competes Act and, and you know, what, what it would mean in terms of U.S. competitiveness with China. Some of the analysts I talked with 
say that our, our focus has been too much on slowing China down and not enough on how we, the U.S. can outrun China. So they describe this America Competes Act as a start, but there are areas where we're never going to catch up to China. You know, we're a little bit behind in um, 5G networks around the globe that Huawei is building, you know, but we can certainly get a head start on 6G and then also with the semiconductor manufacturing, you know, we're never going to catch up to TSMC, but we can take steps to make sure that the U.S. strengthens its supply chain so it's not as reliant on one or two countries for these, you know, chips that are so important to many products, whether it's cars, computers, cell phones, whatever. So it's basically uh, upgrading the U.S.'s competitiveness in, in high technology, right? Correct. And directing more resources to research and manufacturing in the U.S. Because, you know, I think lawmakers from both parties can agree that there really wasn't a good idea, you know, to have the supply chain for so many tech giants so dependent on China and Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the way the industry uh, played out, right? So I think that the U.S. wants to correct its strategy in that area. It's, it's quite obvious, right? They want to course correct, but they're behind several years in a lot of the areas. So the question is whether they'll ever catch up or even surpass or if they'll just be able to somewhat level the playing field. Is it, do you think there's a lot of anxiety in um, the U.S. about China? I wouldn't say that there's a lot of anxiety. I think most eyes are on what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. And, you know, the thing about U.S. news consumers is they care about things when they're personally affected. So they care about China and Taiwan to the extent that new cars aren't available because of the chip shortages and that the price of used cars has gone way up because of the supply chain issues. There's more of a sense of economic nationalism. That was Chris Cascajo, a journalist at Voice of America Asia, giving us his perspectives on the recently passed America Competes Act and the clauses about Taiwan renaming its office to the Taiwan Representative Office. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. The Sound of the Amish Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. You're listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Hello there, you've just tuned into News Playlist. I'm Shirley Lin. This is a program where I bring you past 
reports, video reports on Taiwan, except that in this case,、uh, you would be able to close your eyes and listen to the stories itself. First up, it's about the fact that there's an unusual sight that happens around this time of year, around February, when there would be a sudden change in temperature at the borders、uh, bordering Miaoli and Taizong. So instead of drifting across the sky, you would see clouds that actually drift downward, you know, almost like a waterfall down the side of the mountains. And I bring you this report. Have a listen. Long stretches of clouds are seen billowing down the side of the Guandao mountain range. They flow down to the Jiangmayuan recreation area in Miaoli. The cascading clouds and the mountain's observation deck at 800 meters above sea level have attracted photographers to the area year after year. Photographer Zhang Maishi said the sight can be seen from November to March, but you won't always be lucky enough to catch it. The reason for this unique cloud movement is that most mountain ranges in Taiwan run north to south, except for the Guandao Mountain Range, which cuts from east to west. The range becomes a point for sudden changes in temperature and for clouds to form and flow downward instead. Such a rare picturesque sight has made the junction between Miaoli and Taizong a popular tourist sight. The next report is brought to you by Stash Butler. It's about the fact that Somaliland Foreign Minister was visiting Taiwan some time ago, and it was actually the first time that the minister and Taiwan's president Tsai Ing-wen met each other since Taiwan and Somaliland established really high-level trade ties in the year 2020. It's the moment the cameras have been waiting for. The Foreign Minister of Somaliland, Issa Kade, greets President Tsai Ing-wen in Taiwan's presidential office building. Tsai says that Somaliland is Taiwan's new friend in Africa. She says Taiwan and Somaliland both place a high value on freedom and democracy. Our relation characterizes a special and historic relationship between two champions of democracies in Africa and Asia, welcoming giant Taiwanese companies to come, invest. And trade with Somaliland. Cade landed in Taiwan on Tuesday evening. It's his first visit to Taiwan since Taiwan and Somaliland set up representative offices in each other's territories. Somaliland is a self-governing state, but right now no countries officially recognize Somaliland as independent from Somalia. As a gesture of goodwill, Taiwan sent 150,000 doses of the Taiwan-made Menagen vaccine to Somaliland last month. President Tsai says Somaliland and Taiwan have already become good friends. She says Taiwan and Somaliland will work together with other countries to build a resilient system for preventing the spread of COVID-19. By offering substantial incentives for foreign investment, Cade is hoping this visit to Taiwan will be the start of a beautiful and lucrative friendship. Stash Butler, RTI News. Maybe you find it hard to believe, but even I find it hard to believe is that we had a slump in egg supply. We were short of eggs, so what happened was that it really caused a wave of panic buying and a rise in prices. And eggs have seemed really hard to come by, even in regions where they are actually produced. Let's listen to this report by Tomas Kopel. Even rainy weather doesn't discourage shoppers from snatching up every egg they can find. One consumer got turned away in multiple shops, while another speculates that people are panic buying. Many in Taiwan scrambled to stock up on eggs after the country started experiencing a shortage late last month. The reasons behind it are a past slump in demand, which discouraged breeders from replenishing numbers of hens. Cold weather and recent avian flu outbreaks have also played a role. 
Many businesses now limit the number of eggs clients can buy, especially since orders are often coming up short. The shortage is felt even in Hualien, where many egg farms are located. Breakfast shops are complaining about rising prices even when eggs are available. Zhang Jingyi from Hualien's Chicken Breeder Association says that the majority of local production is sent elsewhere to fulfill backlogged orders. The local agricultural authorities, on the other hand, say that they are willing to help local breeders wishing to ensure enough supply for local residents. Unless consumers stop panic buying or start substituting eggs with other food items, it seems the shortage will persist until a solution can be hatched. Tomasz Koper, RTI News. This month, February, human rights activist groups in Taiwan are hosting a large-scale event to shed light on China's oppression of Tibet. They're calling it Cycling for a Free Tibet. Emma Benek brings us this story. A large crowd awaits the start of the annual campaign Cycling for a Free Tibet. This event marks the 63rd anniversary of Tibetan Uprising Day, when Tibetans came together in mass protests against China's military rule. The rebellion was unsuccessful and Beijing remains in control of the region over 70 years after its invasion. Cycling for a Free Tibet kicked off on Wednesday, supported by various Tibetan groups and rights advocates. These riders braved the rain as they cycled from Taipei's 228 Peace Park to the legislature building for a press conference. Human Rights Network for Tibet and Taiwan founder Tashi Tsering says that he especially hopes the group's message will reach Chinese students studying abroad in Taiwan. He says that China has hidden the truth about Tibetan occupation from students. Tsering says it's Taiwan's responsibility as a democracy to educate all students about these human rights violations. Cycling for a Free Tibet will also hold four more events in Taipei on February 16th and 23rd and March 2nd and 9th. Kaohsiung will host an event on March 6th, followed by Taichung on March 12th for a total of seven cycling events. The campaign also aims to draw awareness to related issues, like China's oppression of protests in Hong Kong and the Uyghur genocide in Xinjiang. New party power legislator Chiu Xianzhi and independent lawmaker Freddie Lim say that they support Tibet's liberation. They are also calling on lawmakers to revise Taiwan's refugee policies so that people who are fleeing oppressive regimes can find a safe haven in Taiwan. As far as the cycling campaign, these riders say they're willing to ride through rain or shine to spread their message across the country. Emma Banak, RTI News. All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. You're listening to News Playlist. I'm Shirley Lin. The Land of Festival traditionally marks the end of Lunar New Year festivities. So there would be all kinds of lanterns, um, but of course, of the zodiac animal as well. But this year, though, in Kaohsiung, where the Lantern Festival the, you know, is really taking place, uh, because it changes cities every time, and this time it's in Kaohsiung, there actually is something else that's probably taking over the focus from the Lantern Festival itself. Let's hear what it is from Leslie Liao. The 15th day of the first month on the lunar calendar marks the Lantern Festival. But this year, Taiwan's Tourism Bureau will celebrate the holiday for an entire month. The 2022 Taiwan Lantern Festival is taking place in Kaohsiung City between February 1st and February 28th. There are magnificent light shows and impressive sculptures, but one of this year's main draws is a giant, transparent, inflatable person lying on their back in the middle of a grass field. 
This installation, titled Aerial Being, is on display starting at 3 p.m. every day of the Lantern Festival, and people lie down next to it just to take a load off. The artwork is the brainchild of Japanese artist Yasuhiro Suzuki. It weighs a staggering 200 kilograms and measures 25 meters in length. The deputy head of Kaohsiung Tourism Bureau says it takes an hour to inflate the sculpture each day. As Taiwan goes back to work after the nine-day Lunar New Year break, this giant supine person might be a good reminder to take a break even in the busiest of times. Leslie Liao, RTI News. A Hong Kong director made a documentary on the Hong Kong protests. On the extradition law back in 2019, well, it's actually more like a protest against China. But uh, this uh, film director, he made a documentary about that and named it Revolution of Our Times. And it's going to be released later this month. Tomasz Capella has the report. Revolution of Our Times, a documentary on the 2019 pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong, is opening in Taiwanese theaters on February 25th. It has received two Golden Horse Awards for Best Documentary and Audience Choice. Taiwan is currently the only country where the movie is being released in theaters. The director of the movie, Kiwi Cho, met with journalists in the form of a teleconference. He says he is extremely happy and grateful that there is a place like Taiwan where his documentary can be shown freely. Joe says that over the two years of filming, he witnessed both tragedy as well as the greatness of human spirit. Initially, he says he was tormented by strong emotions and nightmares, but found solace in the process of making the film and no longer lives with the feeling of dread. Joe says he is expecting the worst, but continues to do what needs to be done, which gives him peace. Joe told reporters a story from his early days at the front lines of the protests. A masked protester demanded to know which station he was working for. He responded that he was one of the directors of 10 Years, a dystopian speculative fiction anthology depicting life in Chinese-run Hong Kong in 2025. The protester approved, having seen the movie, and encouraged Zhou to keep filming. Zhou says that the once progressive city of Hong Kong has now regressed into authoritarianism. He urges Taiwan to take this lesson to heart and cherish the freedoms it enjoys. Tomasz Koper, RTI News. Taiwan's safe so far with no spike in COVID cases, you know, uh, even during or after the uh, nine-day Lunar New Year holiday we just had. But experts really have different opinions as to whether Taiwan has the potential to live with the virus in the long run. I bring you the story. Long train journeys during COVID can be a pain with no eating or drinking allowed on board. But what if Taiwan has the potential to live with the virus? Would people be allowed to tuck into a meal like this passenger on the right? Different experts have different views on the matter. Several scientific studies suggest the incubation period of the Omicron variant of COVID is two to three days shorter than the Alpha variant. The infection period has also dropped by nearly 10 days. Most people infected with Omicron either have mild symptoms or no symptoms at all. Therefore, Dr. Chen Xiuxi, an expert in public health, is optimistic about shortening the days required for quarantine and for Taiwan to live with the virus. But taking into account Taiwan's size and population density, Dr. Huang Gaobing, a specialist in infectious diseases, thinks that Taiwan still has a long way to go. Huang says Taiwan's economy relies heavily on international trade. He says once a virus enters a country, the chances of the virus spreading is very high. 
For now, it seems health authorities are happy to watch and wait. But with more and more countries relaxing COVID restrictions, Taiwan could decide to follow suit. That's all the stories and reports I have for you on Taiwan on News Playlist. Do join me again next week. I'm Shirley Lin for Radio Taiwan International. Thank you for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International, Taiwan's national broadcaster. We hope you enjoyed our programs. You can catch all of our latest news, audio, and video features on our website at en.rti.org.tw. Again, go to our website en.rti.org.tw for engaging news, videos, and programs about Taiwan. If you'd like to hang out on social media, RTI is there too. Our Facebook URL is Radio Taiwan International. And you can watch our engaging video features, including the weekly news magazine program Taiwan Insider, on our YouTube channel, RTI English. Again, our YouTube channel is RTI English. For those who enjoy the Twitter sphere, our handle for Taiwan Insider is at Taiwan Insider. For RTI English, it's at Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. And if you'd like to enjoy us on your smartphone, just download our app RTI to go. That's one of the best ways to enjoy all our news, videos, and programs. That's RTI to go. If you're a shortwave listener, we have two channels in Asia. For South Asia, tune into 6100 kilohertz from 1600 to 1700 UTC. To Southeast Asia, you can hear us on 15320 kilohertz from 0300 to 0400 UTC. We would love to know what you think of our programs. Email us at english at rti.org.tw. Thank you again for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International. Music